views expressed by those on the Two Versus Two podcast do not represent those of their employers. Hello again, it's the return of the Two Versus Two podcast. I'm Grant Roberts, I'm your host. With me as always is my co-host Joe Caruso. Hi Joe. Hello. See, this is going much better so far. Um, With me uh, for the first time is uh, John Kratzer. Hello, John. Hi. As soon as you say it's going much better and there's an awkward silence, it's not going much better anymore. I like it. I I think that's our (laughs) our new shtick is the awkward silence. Um, And our returning champion, um, all the way from the east side uh, of Washington, Lake Washington. We'll go with that for now. Nick Davidson. Hi, Nick. Hello. Good to be here. So, uh, yeah, we had some technical difficulties, unfortunately, with the last recorded episode, and so that one never really made its way to the internet, which is sad. And my personal apologies to Matt Mahan and Dave Habib for wasting two hours of their time. Although it was a good discussion. Maybe I'll figure out how to restore it someday. Um, But we're back now. Uh, First one of the new year. I guess this could be episode five or 5A or five and a half or something. so let's get this ball rolling. What's everybody been playing? We'll start with Joe. Oh, really? Well, given that it's been <laughs> such a long time since we last uh, publicly conversed, uh, I suppose that I should recap that during the holidays, I downloaded a bunch of stuff off Steam, and I've been working through that stuff, and I've played pretty much all of it at this <laughs> point, and far and away, the the champion of the stuff that I downloaded is the original Mass Effect, which I had never played, mm-hmm. and I, I deeply enjoyed that. And uh, unfortunately, I have been in MMO land for the past couple weeks, so that was kind of the last thing I did. Uh, yes. Poor bastard. MMOs, which, see, from what I've I, heard, are, are one of John Cratcher's favorite things, so we'll be talking about MMOs a lot tonight. <laughs> well, um, I mean, actually, just to recap that slightly interesting story... Uh, my wife and I always play MMOs together because I pretty much play them because she does. And uh, she was a Champions Online player, and then they had like a public relations nightmare where they tried to release some uh, content and charge people for it, and there was a giant explosion on the internet, and she got all pissed off and canceled her subscription. Wow. And she ended up going back to WoW. So, so I have an active WoW account for the first time since, I guess, 2007 now and uh yeah are we hearing her in the background is there some other voices yeah you can probably hear her okay good is, is that a problem is she singing i mean what what's what's going on she is talking on the phone oh i see that, that'll that'll read pretty well i think i think we should definitely keep that in um so this is you've had a, a wow account active for a few weeks which has led me to reactivate my fiance's wow account which has led me to react or activate my seven free days of World of Warcraft. And so we're all playing again. Isn't isn't that a great idea? I mean, I think the thing that sticks out about the whole experience and what most needs to be said about it is just that once you go back to WoW, you realize how much more professionally polished that game is than any other game that competes with it. Sure. And and that's a really jarring experience. And I guess that's all I have to say about it. Um, Well, good. Has anyone played the Star Trek MMO yet? I, I, I played I it in late beta. beta. Oh, so you both were. Yeah. I hated it. So, 
I, I had very, I had very mixed opinions about it. I thought that they did a great job of translating an IP, which is not a very easy thing to do, uh, especially one as contentious and as broad as Star Trek. I thought it was a great IP conversion. Uh, again, I have to put out the caveat that I put it, I played in late beta and I understand that some things have changed. I haven't played it post launch, but, uh, I, I just felt the content crunch. I felt that, uh, competition gap that any new MMO is going to have when they come out onto the market. They've only had their development cycle in which to actually create quests and environments and fun things to do. And they're, com- and they're putting themselves out there competing against games that have had years and years to build up the, the content repertoire, uh, that a new player of WoW now enjoys. Yeah. Just years of development of, of a huge team. Yeah, they're coming up on basically six years of, of beta plus live for World of Warcraft. Yeah, right. absolutely. And With, who knows how long that game was in development? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, uh, some people know. Some I people totally know. agree with that. <laughs> You will say what? You totally agree with that? I totally agree with that. I felt like the biggest problem with that game is they had three kinds of quests and you did them over and over and over again, and it was just quite boring. The innovative stuff that they did was actually really fun, uh, but there just wasn't very much of it. And the, uh, like he said, the IP conversion was amazing. You, you frequently find yourself feeling like, oh my god, I like Star Trek and so I like this. So but, what... Uh, was the IP conversion really amazing, or was it just, here's a character that you recognize from Star Trek? No, they really did do a good job. They played the right, like, little musical stings at the right times, and they, they really tried to emulate a lot of the things that you would recognize from the show, like having your own bridge crew and away team missions and stuff like that. But once you got to the actual gameplay and clicking buttons, it was a pretty shallow experience, and, and I think that was... You know, that game struck me as having very little time in development and being built mostly on top of their, like, their, like, universal MMO engine. But uh, but the stuff that they did do right really worked quite well. Yeah. A lot of IP is feel, and a lot of feel comes from those little touchstones that you were mentioning, audio cues. I, I was never a big fan of Star Wars Galaxies, for instance, but when I heard that blaster sound... Yeah. come out of the speakers for the first time, that just took me instantly back. Uh, the fact that they're using the official audio library is an amazing asset. It helps a lot. The fact that all of the terminology is terminology you recognize. You know what a transporter is. You know what an away team is and what a phaser is. You don't need to be taught a magic system. You don't need to be taught an environment because you know it already. You know what a warp engine is and an impulse engine is, and you sort of have, have a mental map. It's very easy for you to map the gameplay that you're experiencing onto experiences that you've already had in that IP. Uh, I think they, they also benefited from timing, the fact that they launched right around the giant Star Trek relaunch, yeah. back when that IP was experiencing another IP upswing, a lot of nostalgia around the, the relaunch, which I think was very well done. Um, quote my friend Brian, they should redo everything I love. Uh <laughs> Well, that's not too far off from what actually happens in this business. So, true, you know, true. It's actually something that myself and my friends frequently talk about as a subject of fatigue. Like, I Reboots, think, you mean? Yeah, yeah. We've yeah. had, I mean, um, I'd say half of the entertainment that comes out that is marketed towards me is trying to resell me my childhood. Sure, and, yeah. And uh, to a certain point, 
particularly with very beloved things, you find yourself going, well, that just doesn't need to be remade, or or they have screwed up a couple other things that they remade, so I don't want them to screw this one up, or, or, or some sort of feeling that I've reached the point where most of the time I resent it now. And yet there are millions and millions of people spending billions and billions of dollars who disagree strongly with that. And that's oh, absolutely. But I do hear this narrative through, throughout uh, you know, my social circle, and it's definitely something that has grown in the last couple of years. I agree with that. I mean, I, I, yes. There, there are numerous examples that you could throw out as a result of that. So, John, is there a reason why you specifically brought up Star Trek Online? Is that because it's the most recent one or what? Well, I was just staying with the topic on, on hand, and I was curious about that. It's a... It's an IP I'm familiar with. I'm not a huge Star Trek geek, but uh, I am pretty familiar with the TV series and movies that have come out. And I'm just curious how well that translated to an MMORPG since it, they have the universe and a rich and deep like history and, uh, and encyclopedia of, of people, places, and things to draw from. I feel like they're one of the biggest IPs in recent memory to to try the MMO thing and really make it stick. I think Lord of the Rings Online is another one that has lent itself well. Whereas things like, if you count The Sims as, as, as being a big IP, that didn't really translate. Star Wars Galaxies didn't really work. Somehow they, they, they managed to make Star Wars Gal- or the Star Wars IP not really fit too well with an MMO, I thought. But... Well... Is this the point where I start railing on Star Wars Galaxies? Because I certainly can. <laughs> I, uh, I mean, hasn't it been through enough? Uh, yeah, <laughs> no, it has. No, it has. You're right. There's no point in beating this horse anymore. Or Star Wars Galaxies. Or Star Wars Galaxies. I'm pouring out my beer for Star Wars Galaxies. I'm not. This is delicious. <laughs> he took the last good beer. I foolishly gave it to him. So, Joe, you've also been playing. You, you said you finished Mass Effect, correct? I did. And uh, let's hear your uh, your review in three words or less. Three words or less. Uh, You're already good. over. <laughs> what did you um, say? Uh, Nick Nick railroaded you there. What did you say? I'm sorry. I, it was good. Uh, I really go. uh, sure. I I did enjoy it a great deal. Um, it's been a while since I've played. Uh, you know that style of game. I for whatever reason I didn't really dig Dragon Age all that much. And it reminded me of the things that I liked about KOTOR so much. Um, I had some problems with it, but for the most part, I thought it was an excellent experience like pretty much everybody else in the world. Um, so, has everybody here played the first Mass Effect? I haven't yet. Um, I'm waiting on my new PC to arrive on Monday, and oh, basically the, the moment it gets there, I will be downloading Mass Effect and Mass Effect 2 off of Steam. So. John, have you? Are, are, I keep dodging people's recommendations, but but after Joe said he just played it, I I don't think I can dodge this. Yeah, I mean it's like ten bucks or something. <laughs> oh, so Joe was the tipping point. Joe was mm. the finally. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I have some friends who are going through or have gone through Mass Effect Two, the sequel, sure. <laughs> also the topic of this podcast. Yeah, in a, in a broad sense, sequels, mm. but. Uh, I should probably play the first before I play the sequel, of course. Unless, of course, it's Assassin's Creed, where the yeah. sequel is supposedly better than the with original. A, yeah, with Assassin's Creed, you can kind of YouTube or, or Wikipedia what you need to know about that game. Whereas yeah. 
with Mass Effect, there are so many nuggets thrown in for people. And to a degree, I mean, you brought up the concept of sequels, and yes, that is what I wanted to talk about today for this podcast. Uh, more than any game I've seen recently, Mass Effect 2 handles the idea of we're going to import, not, not just we're going to import your stuff from the first game, but here's a, are a ton of references to the first game that hopefully you enjoyed, and that really uh, forms the backbone of the experience. And there have been a ton of games that have come out in the last few years that have really not paid any attention at all to their predecessors. I think it's fascinating that that is considered an innovation when I consider it to be a throwback. Well, sure. Yeah, I mean, and and if you don't, if it goes bone dry for long enough, then anything will become a throwback. I mean, there's, I, I honestly would have trouble thinking of the last game to 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 even approach this level of sophistication that they that they did, and that that is really unfortunate. But if you go all the way back to, you know, the big powerhouse sequels like Final Fantasy and Ultima and Dragon Quest and all those things, they have no relationship to each other. So it's not like the precedent has been set for the big. Uh, the big series to do that. But Mass Effect 2 decided to, to, to take those risks and to do it. And for me, it really paid off, especially because I just finished Mass Effect 1. I just finished replaying Mass Effect 1 right before playing 2. And so everything was really fresh and it worked really well. And I hope that's what you do, Nick, and you do, John, when you play. And hopefully, Joe, if you ever if you stop playing Warcraft and doing sealed world wake drafts, then you'll you'll do that as well. Well, I, I kind of imagine that, from my perspective, I'm just going to play it as one big game. I mean, I'm, I don't have a heck of a lot on my docket until Monster Hunter 3 comes out, also a sequel. April 20th. April 20th. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm probably just going to finish one and you know, click on the next icon and go right on to two. So that'll be an interesting experience. Sure. Because they were separated by a couple of years. Well, how important is that to you? Like it, Like Joe said, it is a throwback. And to me, it was really, it was really nice to see that to see a company finally seem to care about stuff like that. Is that something that you guys care about at all? It it, it strikes me as novel at this point. <laughs> it is a throwback. I mean, I I'm trying to remember the last game that actually cared about the save file that I that I kept yeah. around from from the previous version, and. There's probably a big example we're it's, missing. It's but... a huge deal for me because I was such a fan of that back in the you know old old days. I, I'm a big fan of those Sierra Online games from way back, and uh, particularly the Heroes Quest series because it was one of the first, you know, or I think they call it Quest for Glory now. They rebranded it, but um, you know that had a save your file and import it into the next game mm. sort of feature and. There were there were things that you could get in the first game that still mattered in like the third and fourth games, and and they were like alternate puzzle solutions that you could only use mm. if you had managed to do that one thing in the first game. And there was no way beyond playing the first game and importing those files you could get those skills and therefore use those alternate puzzle solutions. And so. That was something that I greatly enjoyed back in the day, and and so I love seeing any kind of return to it. Well, I realize that we're missing one huge example of that, which is Pokemon. I mean, they've been doing that cartridge to cartridge for a very long time, uh, to the point where it is a big deal when they when they reopen throwback possibilities of acquisition. I've got a friend who's working at the Pokemon company who 
terribly excited about some of the the Pokemon that are going to be available for the first time in years. And yeah, that's that's all about save games that translate, transcend, and translate to the next iteration. Well, how are they doing that though? Because it, I mean, the original Pokemon was Game Boy, and then yep. there's the Game Boy Advance. Is that at is various that points in the life cycle? I think there were a, when they changed platform. When they changed platform, there were abilities to move things forward somehow. Okay, well, there's there's one exist. So we've got Heroes Quest, Pokemon, and Mass Effect. That's it. Well, I mean, That's the list. This used to be relatively common, right? I mean, back in the old uh, graphic adventure game day, I have a perception that you could do that a lot. Like, I have a perception that the Might and Magics and the Bard's Tales and the uh, the Wizardry games. You could definitely from Bard's Tale 1 to Bard's Tale 2. That yeah. one did happen. You can import it in uh, from 2 to 3. And I think some of the old SSI Gold Box games let you do an import. Oh, so, yeah, I think they had some that were, like, the Kryn games were actually, like, a storyline, and if you put yeah. the three of them together, you could import your characters into the next one. So is it really just role-playing games that we're talking about, then? I mean, have, are there can anybody think of any other examples that that have done something like this? I mean, I... Well, I, I, think, I think that that kind of a feature is very tilted towards assuming a, a role. You of know? course. I mean, right. I don't, I don't know why you would care otherwise, you know? Well, uh, John, as a as a connoisseur of sequels, does this matter at all to you? I know that you you peruse the same kind of games that I do, and and a lot of those don't really take it into account. Does this well, kind of thing matter to you? Upon hearing about the way Mass Effect treated your previous playthrough uh, on the first game as a as an import of of uh, I guess. New, well, not necessarily new, but something that kind of opened up additional doors for you on your playthrough in the sequel. That that certainly uh, enticed me more about playing through the original first. Mm -hmm. uh, Is that an urge that comes from being a completist? Because I know a lot of people who play games who are very completist. Grant is a completist. I'm actually not. Um, do you, is that motivated by, you know, just angst over, oh, geez, I wouldn't have this option available to me in the second game if I didn't play through the first? Definitely. Well, I think that there, it, it, there are also very, very few games that carry over characters from sequel to sequel. I mean, well, we just said that. Didn't Mass Effect short-circuit that whole problem? I mean, didn't they say, if you didn't play the first game, here's a handy questionnaire you can fill out, they and now did. you did play the first game? I mean, I, w I don't know the details, because obviously I did, and I did import my thing, but I think that you have to answer these eight questions of major plot points first. And then once you get into the game, it lets you reset any of those and also further build out your character. And that happens whether you've imported somebody or not. Mm -hmm. But if you look at, you know, Final Fantasy, Ultima, Dragon Quest, uh, Elder Scrolls games, the, the well, I'm trying to think of the big no ones. there's no continuity between Final Fantasy games. That's not fair. That's what I'm saying is that is that this game, I think, was really exciting to a lot of people, and me included, because holy crap, they're actually bringing back the character from the last game, and that's really rare these days, and that's kind of... Well, I, I don't think it's rare. I mean, you look at Tomb Raider, you look at, you know, uh, shit, any of these any of these perennial sequels, and they usually have a main character. I mean, like like uh, Splinter Cell or, or you know, uh, Metal Gear or any of these, any of these almost mascot yeah, you know, sure. Franchise characters you don't get to import. Right, I meant specifically role-playing games, and that's what I'm saying, that it seems to be unique to that, and that, you know, Gears of War has Marcus Phoenix, and 
Ratchet and Clank, you'll probably see Ratchet and maybe Clank in each one of those games. But there's no carryover between the two. It's like they don't even... It seems like game nobody but role-playing companies seem to, to give a shit about throwing a bone to fans like that. And, and I wonder if any, like, what percentage of fans would care if you have a save file from Gears of War 1 and 2, or God of War 1 and 2, if Kratos has some, some special thing that he doesn't in God of War 3. I, I feel See, like... I think with these heavily defined characters, like you mentioned Ratchet and Clank, um, I think that continuity is already supplied with the experience. I mean, mm-hmm. when you get into a, a subsequent game, there is very much, it's very much on the table that one of the characters will reference something that happened in a previous game because it is assumed to have happened. There's only one way it could have happened. And uh, so without a role-playing game element where the player exerts some control over the actions of the character and their motivations and their motives and their, you know, uh, their moral choices and crap like that, I, I don't really know that you need you know, to import a saved file in order to preserve the continuity of those characters. Well, I guess it's probably just too much overhead for developers to to devote mm-hmm. the kind of resources to make it work. Because if you look at the other, a kind of a weird, either extreme example or kind of a tangent is the Zelda series, where you're playing the same character who is a different person every game. And they still don't really have anything to support, you know, if you played something. Of course, they wait three years in between games, so there's no really right. way to import something, but it's interesting that... that that. But true, no two Zeldas exist in the same continuity. I think, well... Or is that true? They started to do that now. No, I, I could... I, we could go into Wikipedia and try to figure that out. I think the Zelda from 1 and 2 were the... or Link from 1 and 2 were the same. I think that's true. I think Link to the Past was was very different. Then the one in Majora's Mask and Ocarina of Time were the same. Okay. Which it actually, that's kind of rare. They actually carried on the story. Then I think from Wind Waker to Phantom Hourglass was the same. I don't know. Or the, the, the train one was the train. Oh, Spirit Tracks. So I think that it's, it, it's kind of a weird case, but again, it's just another, another company that doesn't seem to, that kind of counts on your nostalgia for this main character to help right. sell the game, but. That's where it ends. Once you press start, that's pretty much it. Right. That's hmm. poor Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Sonic. You know he develops as a character. He grows. He grows. He no. He <laughs> he looks more pissed off in the third one. And and then he just splits off into a million yes. little little and splinter games. And then it's Sonic Racing. And it's Sonic and some guy I don't care about. And some Sonic and two other guys I don't care about. And then a game with just two guys I don't care about. <laughs> and then it's like Sonic Fashion Designer and yeah. Sonic Competitive Cooking. And but it's back now. Sonic Four is. Coming I know. Out. I'm excited about that. It should I'm be not. Sonic as Sonic doing Sonic things. Oh God! I expect it to just be you know bad. The legacy of those games is so. Poor. They have to reinvent the wheel with each game, it seems. Well, I mean, I think the 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 hole that Sonic filled, or the niche that Sonic filled, was was a very specific thing. It's like people love the Mario games, but let's make one that's really fast. There, Sonic now exists as its own genre, and there wasn't really I anywhere think, to go from there. The thing I think that was brilliant about that original Sonic game, and I, I mean, I always hear that Sonic and Knuckles was like the pinnacle of the series, but I, I never played it. Um, but the original Sonic game, the thing that I loved about it was that it, it did all these things that seemed impossible and wondrous, and yet it wasn't hard. 
Mm. But it also wasn't exactly easy. You know, it didn't make you feel like you were watching it. it you, you definitely felt like you were playing it, but it wasn't really all that difficult. I think it, I think you could make the argument that it was hard. It just wasn't necessarily, like, punishing when you died. Or, like, it gave you a chance to, like, oh, you lost all your rings. You better watch your ass now. You could probably pick up two or three of them. And so you're essentially death-proof unless you hit spikes or unless you hit a pit. So Yeah, that's true. I don't know. But, yeah. I mean, for some... They they did something really well to me as a child, which was you don't have to be terribly conservative. Go freaking nuts! Yeah, that's mm-hmm. true. You know, I, I never felt that way when platforming with other platforming games. I mean, you felt like you had to have some kind of strategy and pay attention, and sometimes you held back, and sometimes you reoriented, and you never really felt like you had to do that in Sonic. It was just crazy and you rolled with it and it was a blast. And I feel like that's kind of recent recent sequels new Super Mario Brothers for the Wii is kind of an example of that of especially in the multiplayer like you really have to be careful with what you're doing and there's no you know you're seeing something slowly rotating on the top of the screen and some platform that has spikes on it that's slowly moving as opposed to in Sonic where it's just like just hold right and see what happens it'll be fun, it'll be cool Exactly. Music, Hold you know. right and see what happens. It will be fun, was yeah. the promise of that right. game. Yeah. And maybe if you press down, then things will blow up. You never know. The cool thing about Sonic 2 is that with other platformers, say like Mario, you have you have paths that are defined by a series of blocks elevated at a certain point um, in the level or an underground passage. Whereas in Sonic, you have rings, um, not rings, but, but tracks and, and platforms, and you can fall off a track, but you'll find yourself on a platform below that, and there's even something below that, so mm-hmm. there's a lot of uh, different paths, and you can always either find yourself higher or lower in in your um, playing field, yeah, and even depending if you, on yeah, the, the flow of the game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Even yeah the if sudden you... stops were just as much fun as the as the <laughs> you know, uh, flying wild, crazy speed stuff because you suddenly try to figure out what just happened. Well, we could probably go off on a tangent on Sonic versus Mario for a while, but uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, interesting the way that that game as it kind of in, stands in opposite to Mario where if you screw up in Sonic the Hedgehog, unless you get hit in which you lose all your rings, but like you said, if you fall off of this loop that you're trying to do, you'll end up somewhere cool and you'll still have fun. Right. Whereas in Mario... If you do something wrong, you're either going to fall into a pit and die, you're going to jump on a spiked turtle. It's not really going to be fun anymore. You're yeah, punished I mean, the immediately. Most, the best example of that to me is Mario. It's Mega Man. Oh, of course. Oh. Yeah, Mega, yeah, well, Mega Man, we all yeah. remember, is the game where, oh, crap, I'm dead again. Oh, well, crap, Mega Man is kind of like the genre is masochism at this point. And they, I mean, they've gotten <laughs> to the point now with Mega Man 9 and 10, more sequels, um, that... Ring is back on top. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that they're that they're kind of trumpeting that. It's like it, it's almost like the sign at the front of Whitewater Canyon, like you will get soaked on this ride. You yeah. will throw your controller and yell fuck really loud when you play Mega Man Ten. Yeah. We guarantee it. If you yeah. So And if you're into that sort of thing, <laughs> yeah. let me recommend Mega Man Ten. <laughs> Coming out soon for WeWare. Um so yeah, there's that's that that's very true that Mega Man is kind of the the, the edge case in that. Um, but I don't want to just uh, to ask Joe what he has been playing lately and then dovetail into our sequels discussion. I want to find out what other people have been playing, too. So, John, why don't you, at the risk of, of fleeing from our from our stated topic, what have you been playing lately? <laughs> well, 
since uh, I knew the topic of sequels was coming up, I picked up a game I set down for, say, about two weeks and finally beat it last night. And this was a sequel to 2008's No More Heroes. Oh, wow. From Marvelous and Ubisoft. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, No More Heroes was one of the first um, mature buzzworthy titles for the Wii to coincide with, at that time, the Revolution's new control (laughs) scheme. And uh, it came from the the studio and and the creator behind Killer7, a very uh, obscure GameCube and PS2 era title with uh, an on-rails type gameplay um, setup where you had some different personas that you could choose from for each level and you were all assassins and you play through. But No More Heroes took the assassins theme again and put you as the main character in an assassin tournament where you start out ranked, you know, really low and you work your way up to the top until eventually you're ranked number one. By assassinating the other assassin. By taking on everyone else above you. Correct. And so the sequel came out this January, almost two years on the dot from when the first game came out. And the sequel made some improvements, at least to the uh, critique of many game reviewers out there, to make the game better from what the original was. But when all was said and done, and I and I cleared the last boss last night, I still look back as the original being a better experience, mm. kind of like what I would compare the first Matrix movie to, as opposed to the Matrix sequels, mm. which it seemed like the first Matrix movie could could stand by itself forever and be a great movie, but once the sequels came in, it it lessened the impact and lessened the quality that was apparent in the original. So are you saying that, because I feel kind of this way about the Matrix, and let me and tell me if you feel the same way here, that, that the Matrix Reloaded and the Matrix Revolutions almost ruined the original Matrix movie for me, because they, even though they could stand on its own, and, and does, and is a fucking great movie, when you look at it in the broader context of what the Wachowskis were trying to do, it's like, well, if you if you were trying to do this the whole time, if this is what you meant by this movie, does that mean I need to re-examine this and now think that I didn't like this anymore? Did, do you feel that way about Suda 51 stuff or what? Well, the sequel didn't really present a lot more questions like the Matrix sequels did. <laughs> sure. You know, asking more questions than, <clears throat> than they were dishing out answers. But uh, the original really ended on on a high note where the characters were let were left in a state of like stasis in in the action and um like environment and and all altogether just really dysfunctional and, and crazy world that that is Santa Destroy and No More Heroes. This Southern California esque, um, very much like you know L.A. or or the Valley there, with uh, just corporations and and various types of people 
around and, and almost like Hollywood-esque actors and, and personas, you know, that you would find in, in tabloid magazines, but are instead assassins that you fight in the game. Yeah, they're really larger than life. Yeah. yeah. But but in the original, you're kind of left with an ending that, uh, for a better sense of the word, freezes everyone in time, and you're satisfied with the way things have ended. Uh, and I guess another comparison could be the first Back to the Future movie, mm, whereas sure. the sequels, you know, take it further, but but the first one can really just stand on its own just as well. So if, if you look at The Matrix and, and a lot of other things like it, I've, I've sort of proposed a theory that ruining is like a tachyon. It, it can travel back in time. It can actually travel back in time and destroy the enjoyment that you had years ago. Uh, sure. Seeing subsequent Matrix movies... Yeah, the the enjoyment that I may or may not have had, it's it's a paradox to even think about it because mm -hmm. now I cannot see how I could have enjoyed those because I can only see it in the larger sense. Well, see, look at it this way. I mean, when you when you played No More Heroes for the first time, when you fin I assume you finished it too because you were talking about the ending. Yeah, I beat the first game three times oh, on wow. all three difficulties, and the second wow. one I beat on one difficulty, <clears throat> and I'm questioning how many more hours I'll put into it if if at all, a, a complete playthrough. Again. Well, what, after you finished the first one, whether it was after playthrough one, two, or three, did you feel like you wanted a sequel? No, you I didn't. Did. But in the case of No More Heroes, the game sold higher than than their expectations. It mm -hmm. sold, I'm not for sure on this, but it sold in the ballpark of 150,000 or more, which is more than any other Suit 51 game, mm -hmm. or for that matter, some of the Marvelous um, games in Japan, but over here it was published by Ubisoft. But uh, but yeah, it was a case where I was perfectly content with the notion that, and the adventure continues for these characters, but the, their yeah their yeah. their adventure is is left to to the the personality and and uh, the the character that that was established just fine the first game and and nothing no other explanation was needed right that's interesting it's like butch casting the sundance kid when you see the movie end the way it does i don't yeah. want to spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen that movie but when you see the movie end as it does do you really want to see a sequel with them it turns out they were okay. Yeah, back <laughs> back in action. Yeah, and I won't say anything more than that because who knows? There may be someone out there who hasn't seen that movie, but it's the oh. same thing exactly with that movie yeah. with No More Heroes and the sequel to No More Hero Heroes. Well, well, see, I guess I'm a bad person to talk to about this kind of thing because Grant said, "Did you want a sequel when you finished that?" And and you very, I think, definitively said, "No, it wasn't necessary." Uh, I grew up with comic books. And I grew up with, uh, you know, fantasy novels, which are inevitably put into trilogies, and then there's another trilogy in the same continuity. And uh, I'm a sucker for continuity. Mm. I always want to revisit, whether it's a good idea or not, I always want to revisit the settings and the characters that I previously enjoyed. Well, then you must have really loved the Malorian when it came out after the... The Belgariad was, you know, they told... Dude, this. I was like 14 at the time. Of course I enjoyed it. I thought that was incredibly great. Well, and I mean... Looking back, <laughs> it, seems, it seems a little ridiculous how 
just kind of rehashed it all. No, is. it's I absolutely can't say true. that I've read it as an adult, but but at the time, I loved it. You know? Well, I mean, when you look at comic books kind of have this once you realize how comic books work, I feel like they have this structure where this arc will end, but you know these characters are going to go on forever. And once yeah, you know... there's a concept that you return to the status quo and the core of the character and what the book is about at some point. Yeah, even if Magneto has ripped out Wolverine's adamantium, you know that that you know things are pretty much going to be back to normal at the end of this arc. Whereas, I mean, that, that concept doesn't really exist with, with games whether they're retro games or current games, except for, I think, the episodic stuff that, that, that people like Telltale are doing. Well, yeah, and this is why I like, you know, television series more than movies, because sure. I just, mm. I love having a hundred episodes of continuity around characters. Although you could, I mean, one of the, one of the shows that I'm currently watching on TV, like many other people is lost. And you could make the argument that, the show got a lot better once the end date was specified. Once they knew that there was eventually going to have to be an ending, things started to pick up again. And you yeah. could you could say the you could say the same thing about games or the opposite about games. You know, it depends. Yeah, I'm on not what you're saying about. that it's the right decision to keep something going inevitably and watch it jump the shark. I'm saying that that I'm a sucker for it. Sure. So right. So when when somebody says, "Do you want a sequel to this thing that you love?" my my answer is <laughs> always yes. And then that sequel often comes out, and I'm like, crap, there was no reason for this, and it's not even good. Right, the ruining Tachyon's travel back in time, and you feel bad about your original decision. No, well, I never feel bad about the original <laughs> I, I actually totally disagree with that. Okay. I'm just different. Um, it's kind of a joke. I, <laughs> I know a lot of people do feel that way, though. I mean, The Matrix is the perfect example for that. I really can just go back and watch that first movie and be like, wow, that's a great movie. I envy you a little. <laughs> Well, I mean, you could say the same thing about music too. It's like you know, the the third and fourth garbage albums were were pretty wretched, and oh, they God, make don't get into garbage. They make, okay, well, okay, it's a good point. Um, but what you're talking about and this this phenomenon of you know this complete experience essentially being done with this game is like I don't really need to see a sequel. I think the story has been told well. I've reached closure with these characters. I don't need any more. And then you have something like Bioshock Two, which just came out. And for me, the original Bioshock, I thought, well, it went on a little bit too long, but it ended in a very good place. And I, I think a lot of people feel the same way I do, that a sequel to Bioshock was not really something that needed to be made. Well, let me also say that I think the reverse is infinitely more damaging. I think that, that when a Bioshock comes out, and you're like, that was awesome. And then Bioshock 2 comes out and you're like, why couldn't they have just left well enough alone? Mm. Um, that that feeling is not terribly, like, like that doesn't really mess with you that much. But when, like, let's say a studio goes out of business before they get to make their sequel when they left you with a cliffhanger, or, like, the classic example for Grant and I is probably the Shining Force, Force games yeah. on... Um, on what is that platform? Sega that Saturn. The, uh, that was the Saturn? Yeah. Um, you know, they brought over domestically the very first of the Shining Force, what was it, 4 or something? Shining Force 3, episode scenario Force 3. 1. Yeah, so episodes 2 and 3 exist in Japan, but they don't exist here. There are no translated versions of them, and it is a continued story. There's no, like, like they don't finish or in any way resolve what happens in the first 
you know, episode. Yeah, my life so, is incomplete based on those two never exactly. coming back domestically. So that was a lot worse to me than the fact that, you know, Star Control 3 wasn't terribly good. Oh, well, right. you know, Star Control. No, I, I ran into a similar situation where a game hung, hung so much of its narrative on the inevitable sequel that it was just painful to play through the second half of the game because... It's like when you're you're watching a two-part episode of anything where you realize about 50 minutes through they're just not going to wrap this up. You're you're excited, you're in the moment, you're enjoying the story and you realize there's no way they're going to wrap this up in in the next 10 minutes. It's just going to drag on a little bit and then leave as a cliffhanger. Uh White Knight Chronicles. I'm going to go ahead and spoil this story because it's wretched. And I feel no <laughs> obligation. But 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 wait. Okay, well, let's give people the opportunity to, to, to pause right now. No, screw them. They want to listen to a bad story. Go for it. So, I, <laughs> there's there's a lot of things to like about this game. I, I've been playing this game quite a bit, and I'm basically done with it until the DLC comes out, which I could get into a little tangent, I think is a great way of providing sequel-esque content that is not actually a sequel. Yeah. Uh, uh, there, there. That's a huge can of worms we could talk about. For a but uh, we'll we'll get back to that one. We'll get back to that one. So I'm kind of putting it on the shelf until uh, some of its DLC comes out. Uh, it it is actually a pretty good online experience if you want to play something in the in the uh, genre of a uh, fantasy star online. Um, it does this weird narrative thing where it has this storyline going on, and then there's you, the character that you can create and specialize in name who is sort of a mute sidekick while all these events are going around going on around him it's it's kind of uh it's kind of laughable that they sort of pencil him into all of the cutscenes uh, <laughs> but he never says or does anything useful ever and then when you go online it's it's all of the mute sidekicks getting together and <laughs> killing dragons which is it's laughable but the experience is kind of fun now spoiler alert spoiler alert uh <laughs> They they talk about how there are there are these five ancient knights. Okay, it's all about turning into giant robots. Anyone who's seen a trailer knows this. And they talk about how there are five of them, and it's such a big deal if all five of them get in the same place at the same time. And you know where two of them are, and then you find out where the third one is, and you find out where the fourth one is, and then people are talking about how well that's all of them. <laughs> They're all in the same place now. And you're thinking, no, that's not true. You're saving one of these characters for the, the inevitable sequel, but at least have the honesty to say that. I mean, they, they break their own story convention to imply that having four of the five... Anyway, getting off onto a little bit of a rant here. Just, just a... Uh, that is a problem with internal consistency. And yes. Any story that does not have internal consistency, regardless of the source, that's always irritating. And then there's freaking Princess MacGuffin, who you rescue like five times throughout the course of the game. And somehow, after kicking the bad guy's ass, the bad guy and Princess MacGuffin managed to get back on the airship. Didn't you just kick his ass? Oh, Why won't his ass stay kicked long enough for you to rescue Princess MacGuffin? I think a future episode of the Two vs. Two podcast is going to have to do with all of these pet peeves of ours. <laughs> this, is, this one is called the You're Beatrix not, I scenario. Wanna, I want to hear all of Dick's. Oh, man. <laughs> I can I go on. Do a, a Nick's problems with games. <laughs> Nick's nitpicks, we'll call it. And yeah, well done. I'm gonna that's go good. register that URL right now. That's um, that's great. So, 
So, John's been playing No More Heroes 2. Nick's been playing White Knight Chronicles. Have either of you two been playing anything else recently that you'd like to talk about? Well, in regards to what Nick brought up in terms of episodic content being on par with sequels on occasion, I just picked up the latest Borderlands. Mm. uh, As did I, just last night. Downloadable content and... The General Knox one? Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I have nothing but praise to to give Gearbox for, for upping the experience once more with Borderlands. Did you buy the second one? I... I avoided the Mad Moxie expansion yeah. and picked up the the island of Dr. Ned. Okay, so even though it had a bank in it, that wasn't enough to get you to buy it. And that wasn't enough. See. A bank and a skill point. <laughs> Two skill points if you play through on both playthroughs. Wow. Uh, it's, yeah, the DLC 2 was, was pretty, pretty weak. Uh, if I had a regular group of four to play Mad Moxies with, that could be a fun way to spend uh, a little bit of time, but the, the effort versus reward was just absent there. Absolutely absent. Uh, I, I've played about an hour and a half of the, of General Knox and, you know, I, I'd left Borderlands on the shelf for you know, probably close to a month and I'm happy to pick it up again and keep going with the story. It kind of picks up in a nice place. The challenge is ratcheted up, which I really appreciate. Um, so that's, I was kind of obliquely referencing uh, this when I was talking about DLC as a good way to to expand a game. Uh, I'm much more likely to, you know, spend ten dollars on a Borderlands expansion when the character is fresh in my mind, when I'm continuing my save file, when all the loot that I've acquired is is still right there and hasn't really changed or altered or been converted from episode three to episode four. Uh, it. Just an experience I, I really enjoy. Um, I'm happy to pick it back up and play it some more. So, but the the DLC model that Borderlands has been following is kind of the way that, that things seem to be going now, where the first one, the Zombie Island of Dr. Ned, I think it was called, it was kind of like a side story. You could go there at any time. You right. could be like, I'll take the boat to the Zombie Island or whatever it was. Jacob's Cove. Sure. Yes, Jacob's Cove. <laughs> it's independent of the main story. Right. The second this one. is interesting to me because I hate this model. I, I, I have never downloaded DLC. I, I don't like it. I, once I have completed a game and it gives me the end cutscene and that's kind of it, I feel this sort of sense of relief and the game is mm. done and I want to move on to another game or wait for the sequel or whatever. And when it says, well, here's some DLC and maybe this stuff happened before you finished the game and it's kind of this backtracking, like... I don't know why this wasn't in the original product. Uh, I just, I, I have, I feel no compulsion whatsoever to download it and revisit the game. So Let's... there's, there's part of that that I really agree with, which is that I think some of the first generation DLC games felt like they were just incomplete games and they were trying to squeeze an extra six bucks out of you. But Zombie Island, I think, is a fantastic example of DLC done right. It's a self-contained story, and it's, it's just. The, the writing for, for Zombie Island of Dr. Ned is hilarious. I absolutely loved it. I still kind of giggle at the, its quotes from time to time. And, you know, the fact that it was separate and kind of tacked on to sort of a mini expansion pack, uh, I, I saw as a positive because the content was, was of a high quality and because it, it was timely. It wasn't that long after the launch of Borderlands that it became available. Well, I, th- I mean, there are, t- there are kind of 
a few different models that are being followed right now. And Dragon Age is at one end of the spectrum, which is following, you know, everything about that, that game is old school, except for their blood spatter effect, I suppose. But they're, they're, they had DLC bundled with the game and it was forgettable. Mm-hmm. Um, it provided an interesting character, I suppose, to the mix. But they're actually putting out a full-fledged expansion pack, which has not been seen in a while. And it's been interesting to see the internet's reaction to this because there are people young enough to not remember expansion packs who are going like, what the hell is this? I have to buy a disc? I don't understand. This is bullshit. As opposed to for the past five years when mm-hmm. we've seen DLC, which is kind of, I haven't played more than a half an hour of Zombie Island of Dr. Ned, but from what I did play, um, it felt like it was going to be just something that was kind of shoved in the middle of the story. Like Joe said, like mm-hmm. here's a chapter that's like a side story that you can mm-hmm. kind of optionally do. And that's different from the way these, these things used to work where they were kind of like, um, you know, volume, uh, like half of volume two or volume two was significantly smaller than volume one, but here it is. Right. Like, you know, tales of a sword coach for Baldur's gate or, you know, uh, uh, the black gate for Ultima seven, stuff like that, as opposed to now. And at the other end of that, you've got Assassin's Creed two, which midway through the game or 80% of the way through the game, you reach a point where it's like, well, here's, you're going to do the two next things in the story. We're having trouble accessing those things in the story. Let's just skip ahead. Like again, the, like the, the narrative actually does that. And so you skip ahead twenty years and you're and you're towards the end, um, because those two things that they skipped are, are DLC now. They're the Battle of Forley and Bonfire of the Vanities are two separate purchasable DLC packs for Assassin's Creed that supposedly fill in the gaps that you missed when you skipped ahead. And so, I mean. It sounds like you were a big fan of Zombie Island Dr. Ned because it provided this kind of self-contained experience. But do you think that that, that, that supporting that model and like the, the, the industry's embrace of that model is, is, is harming things that want to continue the narrative, I guess. So I, it's funny because I, I love Zombie Island Dr. Ned with the same intensity that I loathe the idea of taking sections out of what I felt was a, a continuous story for Assassin's Creed 2. I, I hate what they did there. It felt like they gave me an incomplete game, that they planned on me feeling like there was this sense of absence in the middle of their story mm-hmm. that I needed to go out and buy. The Borderlands story isn't exactly, you know, high high prose, but it's, it's functional. It's there. And Zombie Island uh, is is separate. It is a self-contained thing. It's, it's almost, it borders on self-parody, which I, which I always appreciate. Um, but it, it doesn't feel missing from the main storyline. So those are two things that, uh, in structure are fairly similar, but in effect on me are complete polar opposites. Yeah. I guess if you, if, if Borderlands, I mean, the narrative and the, and the main storyline was certainly not, I would, I would not put that in the top five of things that I liked about that game. No. But if midway through the game, they were like, well, and then you went to this other place. Uh, we're we're having trouble. The 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 Pandora. There was interference in the ionosphere. We don't really have that information for you. Right. And then they skipped ahead. That would have been a very different thing. Assassin's Creed Two kind of made it work because the meta narrative of that game of you being inside this thing. And I don't want to get too into it, but I think it, it supported it barely. But by all accounts, from what I've heard, the DLC for Assassin's Creed Two is not is not really working that well because when you play it after you finish the game or before you finish the game, there's no context there. And so it just right. feels strange. And so it doesn't feel like they've succeeded on any level other than taking your money, I guess. Um, 
You know, I would say completely outside of the idea of whether it provides a coherent narrative, I find it difficult to start or go back to a game that I haven't played yet or that I have finished, and I find it really difficult to put down a game that I'm currently playing. So I disagree somewhat with what Nick had to say about how DLC is timely, because, I mean, mm -hmm. really, unless you give me DLC the, the day after I finish a game, it really doesn't feel that terribly fresh to me. And when I have to make myself go back to a game, I find myself going, oh, okay, how does this work again? Uh, oh, right. Oh, crap, I had some points to spend, or oh, I meant to you know, upgrade my weapons or something, but I was about to finish the game, so I didn't, or whatever. And doing that, reacclimating myself to the gaming environment presented by that piece of software, uh, I need something more than, like, you know a chapter of a game. I need another game or, you know, an expansion pack or a sequel or something. Yeah, that's reasonable. I never deacclimated is kind of the thing that made it work for me. I was still playing around with you know, different character types and with different people at lower levels. So I, I never really completely stopped. So when the DLC hit, I was, I was ready for it. The big differentiation for me between the two types of, downloadable content we're seeing is that one appears to, to be taking taking the game or taking the house that the developers built and essentially going into the unfinished basement and filling out a room, whereas some DLC is like adding on another room outside of the house, making the house bigger. And Borderlands is like that, where they take these episodes and the zombie island and this new one have new enemy types new strategies for facing these enemy types, new environments, and it's adding more to the experience, whereas in my interest love, in my um, interest for the Resident Evil franchise mm. and the DLC that just released for that, they released one episode, Lost in Nightmares, and another one coming out, Desperate Escape. They're essentially taking things that were talked about in the main story and shown in flashbacks as well, and they're flushing them out now to have, be playable experiences. But for me, you know, that was already in the main game. I didn't play through it, but it was alluded to. It was pretty much all I needed to know from, from the original game I played through. So why would I care as much if the developers went back and said, oh, here, you know this stuff that we already told you about when you played through the game and the cutscenes, now you can play through it. It's not as big or important mm -hmm. to me to go through that as the Borderlands stuff or, say, Half-Life episodes that are mm. new content, new stories, but still part of the same house. I think that's to Capcom's credit, then, that in the during the narrative of Resident Evil 5, they were able to, to show this stuff briefly in flashbacks, have it work in the context of the narrative, and then yeah. move on. Whereas if you look at something, I don't mean to keep picking on Assassin's Creed 2 because I think that game is really, really good, but they there was no well-told abbreviation like what you're talking about with Resident Evil 5. is like, we're missing right. this part, get over it, we're skipping to the ending now. I think that's 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 part of the problem. And Borderlands sounds like it's doing it right, even though I don't... I liked that game, I finished that game. I don't really have much interest in playing the DLC, I guess, because I've moved on. Right. Like Joe said, you know, I've closed that... I beat the last boss. That story to me is over. I bought the first DLC, but... I'm. I don't. I no longer want to shoot things in Borderlands. I want to shoot things in Mass Effect Two now. So, I, I don't know what the solution to that is. I mean, they they provide 
Mass Effect 2 did something and Dragon Age did something where the DLC is day one available, so you can mm-hmm. play it whenever you want to. Um, and maybe the solution is to just offer more stuff like that um, and just make pl- and try to encourage players to play it when they're either before they start or after they finish. But then you get into the sense of, well, why wouldn't this include it on the disc? Right. Well, and, and let me get into that, that, that issue of DLC that's immediately available. When, when I'm confronted with that, honestly, my reaction is, so do I, do I need it for some reason? And the sure. answer is usually no. You can totally enjoy the game without it, at which point I go, okay, cool. And I play the game without it. Sure. I mean, that, that's, you can say that that is the, pretty much the majority of DLC as it exists right now. I mean, there's, there's thankfully video game companies that are still making, making complete stuff. There are a few glaring exceptions like Assassin's Creed, which still worked. I mean, even though the, even though they took out these pieces, the, the, the narrative still worked because you got to the ending and you got in a lot of preamble and it still worked. But uh, a lot of these things, these bite-sized chunks that are being delivered are, are kind of uh, coming at it from a different angle that they're not necessarily, they're, they're not integral. They're not, they're not required, you know? And so at that point, the, the decision then becomes, why do I want to spend $10 on this? Does it, like you said, does it add to the experience? Not necessarily. Do you need a side story that much about this? I, I mean, obviously people do because DLC is selling really well for this stuff. Um, but when then you look at something like Grand Theft Auto 4, which had a really long story that was told however much you want to praise it, it was it was uh it was told reasonably well. And the way they've been doing their DLC is they add these kind of I don't know how long, I guess four to, to six or eight to ten hour experiences after the fact that follow characters that you kind of run into during the game, making them the star of these things. And, and, and focusing an entire episode on them. Um, do you, if like you just finished Mass Effect, Joe? If if say for example, um, you encounter, I had a game that was just about like you know one of the one of the side characters. Yeah, not that, not that. even not even a game. Like you meet you meet Rex or you meet Tally or somebody, and it's like Tally's pretty cool. Uh, but then they 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 walked off and they they had to do their own thing, and then. Six months well, no, later, like, you like get... A good example might be, like, what if you got to... I don't remember the captain's name when you start that game, but if it was like, you're going to do the captain's mission that he describes when he gets betrayed by uh, by Sarah. Right, the flashback, right. Yeah, yeah. Captain yeah. Anderson. Keith, Captain Keith David, I think. Is that, that would be fine with me. I, I would totally be down with that. It would feel, it would feel different enough. Um, right. You know, my big problem is that you know, a lot of this DLC is presented as additional stuff you can do, side quests and that sort of thing. I don't finish all the side quests that come with the game. Sure. So why you would know? you so, pay more? So why to... on earth would I buy more? Yeah, no, that's true. It's a good point. Well, um, so Zombie Island of Dr. Ned and General Knox, that's good. That's what you guys have been playing lately. Nick, anything else? Uh, I have been playing White Knight Chronicles, much mm-hmm. to my chagrin. Uh, and... Other than that, I've been playing more Magic Online than I should be. So, which is your fault, Joe? Honestly, because I don't think nobody in the office was really doing anything with Magic Online, <laughs> and then you bought me this account for Christmas. I loaded it up in the office. Other people saw it, and now hell has come. Well, good, good, good for good for Watsy. Hooray for hell! <laughs> so, I, yeah, I don't want to get too deep into Magic because only some of us. Uh, no, we'll have a special magic. edition one day. Yes, we'll have. Yeah, won't that be that'll 
probably get the fewest downloads of any of them. The, the one thing I will <laughs> not if we bring Devin in. is that oh, I think it's I think it's uh, very entertaining that Nick that's organized and made all the rules for this like tournament that he is now winning. Okay, let's well. <laughs> okay, I want to address that for a second oh, because clearly Grant has told you one side of this narrative. <laughs> I don't. I don't think that we should get into that on this podcast. This has no relevance to anybody else. Some of the people in this room don't give a shit. So, um, who me? <laughs> yes, you. So, so go these ahead. two are accusing me of running a crooked tournament. Is basically what it comes down to. Yes. So, and maybe we'll give you the chance to address that at a later date. Yes. Probably not. We'll post something to the website. You yes. Just write it up. We'll yeah. put it on a sidebar. Exactly. That's we'll, we'll, we'll definitely do that. Um, so, so one of the bigger sequels that's coming out soon, I believe in less than a month now is Final Fantasy 13. Now I have pre-ordered it. Um, now this is the MMO, right? No, that's no, 14, 14. Joe. Okay. Uh, duh. Come on. Keep track of their your final, final fantasy straight. Yeah. Quit being obtuse, Joe. Um, so yeah, Final Fantasy Thirteen comes out soon. I pre-ordered it for the PS3. Uh, John, will you be playing this game? I have been considering it for the past few weeks. I'm weighing my, my choices here. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of sequels coming out in the next couple months. There's a God of War 3, yes. Lost Planet 2, mm-hmm. uh, Monster Hunter Try. Yes. <laughs> but uh, I'm not decided on FF13 yet based on some of the things I've heard. Uh, one thing in particular is that there's not going to be much of an overworld to explore or NPCs with him to interact. Something which I I, I like in my RPGs is, is having a fleshed out lived-in overworld with, with cities that are diverse and full of interesting characters. And I'm kind of disappointed to hear that this FF13 game has more of a a linear story akin to uh, FF12? 10? 10. 10. That's mm. what I'm looking for. FF10. Yeah. Okay. Nick, will you be purchasing this game? I don't know. I, I haven't pre-ordered it. I, I have such mixed feelings about the franchise at this point. I mean, up, up until 10, I purchased and played every Final Fantasy and every Final Fantasy ta- tactics, nothing short of religiously. And then, then ten two happened, and then the spinoff started to happen. The Matrix reloaded of Final Fantasy, right? And ruining traveled back in time for me. Yeah. And now I twelve was a big deal for me because that was the first Final Fantasy that I not only didn't buy, but did not even want to consider buying. And people said it was a pretty good game, and I'm sure that it was. But I don't know. The addiction is broken for me. I have no Final. Fantasyoids in my system anymore that are calling me back to the franchise, uh, and because it is going to hit over the same time period as Monster Hunter, um, I think I know who wins in a cage fight for me. You've got like a month. You've got a month of Final Fantasy time that you could that you could devote to that, and then Monster Hunter comes out and you throw Final Fantasy under the bus and you move on. You're saying you're not going to do this. I'm not trying to evangelize Final Fantasy. 13. Sure, it, you know I wouldn't do that. And the man has a tournament to run. Yeah. <laughs> the tournament's basically over. I've crushed everyone. It's it's done. Who did what Just happened? What happened when you played me in the tournament? I don't remember. Okay. Did you win? Yes. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Let's move on. So yeah, I will pipe up and say I have no intention of purchasing 
that single player Final Fantasy experience. But yes to Final Fantasy fourteen. Uh because of you, Grant. Right. And then no to sixteen, no to seventeen. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, yes to 18. So that's the thing. It's like... 18? Can you even conceive of that? <laughs> I, I, I can. That's as many as 1.810s. <laughs> um, so you can make the argument that Final Fantasy IX was kind of the last one to really feel like a Final Fantasy game. Yeah. You could say that about maybe any of them. I don't know what that means but, anymore. Well, I mean, know, just very... There have been enough games since then that you can't say that. Well, Final Fantasy is not what it was, and and it's something else now. That's what I'm saying is that nine really felt like the last gasp of the of the really menu driven, uh, epic narrative with with boss that feels like boss, and then there's some stupid supernatural boss at the end of it which you didn't expect, and then ten was like, well, you can swap in any of your guys at any time, and there's no overworld anymore, and people are like, what? And Japan was like, we love this one more than any of the other ones, and the U.S. said what? And then twelve came out and. It was a kind of a single-player MMO, and, and so we're getting further and further away, and I don't know anything about 13. I'm trying to, like like I've said before, I usually try to isolate myself from single-player RPGs to not get spoiled for anything. But from what John has said and from what I've heard, yeah, it's 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 a much more... it's There's very little fat on it, and I guess you could make the argument that before Final Fantasy X, Final Fantasy was very fat indeed. <laughs> yeah, it was I just delicious. feel like at this point, Final Fantasy is is not the name of a franchise of games. It is rather the name that is given to the premier Square Enix title, uh, you know, of this year or two years. I suppose uh, that's I really true. don't feel like the game, it really means anything anymore except that there will be Chocobos and, you know, some other stuff that shows up over and over again. Uh, I really, I, I, <laughs> it could be anything. And, and yet... One could argue that Dragon Quest Eight was it for the PlayStation Two was better than than any recent Final Fantasy game. I mean, you could go either way on it, but they've got a Square Enix has two flagship series now, if not more than that, with Kingdom Hearts. But who the hell knows what's going on right. with Kingdom Hearts? But I feel like fans of that series of the Dragon Quest series kind of know what they're getting when they buy the next one. And I no longer feel like you can say that when you buy a Final Fantasy game. I thought that I could say that after Dragon Quest five and six. I thought I was going to be getting some really difficult, annoying game that I wouldn't want to play. <laughs> and then Dragon Quest eight came out and totally blew me away. And they've kind of... Uh, it, it felt like a, a more pure throwback to old games, much more so than Final Fantasy nine did, and yet got a, a tenth of the attention, I think. Yeah, I don't think 9 was really a throwback to those style of games. I think it just had a bunch of stuff in it that was from those old games. Yeah, it could be. Well, I mean, so, uh, the only reason why I pre-ordered that game, I would have just bought it, but I, I have a feeling I wouldn't be able to find it unless I pre-ordered it. It's not really an indication of my level of fanaticism for it. I've kind of, as I've, I, I'm going to be 35 this year, I'm, I'm kind of... The Final Fantasy series is kind of in my rearview mirror at this point. I'll still buy them, probably. Maybe I won't buy 18. Maybe 19 will be tough. <laughs> but, I mean, they've for the experiences that they've given me, they'll get my money pretty much every time. And it, that that's the case for a lot of series. Um, and that's just the way it is. This is the way my, my, my brain and my wallet work. Um, yeah, I guess I feel that way about some series. I mean, if the, if, if for some reason... If they put out a new XCOM right now, I'd buy it. No, you wouldn't, because it would be a flight sim, and it would... No, I guess I, if Irrational's really working on an XCOM game, which 
rumors are that they might be doing that. That would be that would be pretty spectacular. But I could say that if if Richard Garriott for some reason came back to Ultima and decided to make Ultima Ten, I would buy that immediately. If um, there's even after Tabula Rasa. That he that was General British. That was somebody completely different. General British. It wasn't, yeah, that's what he called himself. He wore the uniform. He had a new costume. And he everything. did. He did. Um, but there are just some series like that that will automatically get my money, and it would take an act of God to prevent that from happening. Um, well, and I, but I actually think those are very different cases because those series have been offline for a while. You know, sure. Uh, Final Fantasy games keep coming out and keep establishing their reputation for erratic behavior in my mind, and. You know, that's that's not the same thing. Well, this might be the one that ends that relationship with Final Fantasy games for me. Because while I liked Final Fantasy twelve, it wasn't I would not put it very high on my list in the series. And if thirteen is as weird as it looks, then that may be the end of the instant buy for me. And at that point I guess that would be the end that would be the last series that is currently putting out games that I would automatically buy when they came out. So that would be sad for me, but you know, they've provided so many good sequels over the years that, that that's been good enough. Um, so that's that's interesting. I, 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 you know, the emails that, that you and I have exchanged, John, about which games we like to play led me to believe that we were that we were very, very similar in that regard and that you may be a, an early adopter of 13, but it sounds like that's not the case. Well, I'm curious with, uh, with people's uh, perception of the Final Fantasy brand and and what since maybe the release of seven keeps drawing them back to the franchise d- despite the change from the earlier Final Fantasies to them I guess you could call them the modern ones the ones from two thousand and and later mm-hmm. is that uh, there is kind of a of a look to to the Final Fantasy games now mm-hmm. too mainly I think in the character design where they just have the, this look, maybe this ideal image of the the hero or her, heroine in a role-playing game, and they just have pretty much tapped into that, you know, part of the gamer's both male and female brain to that it's a visually appealing and enticing, you know, character with whom they want to, you know take on this adventure and, and and play through the game as. I just can't say that I I ever really identified with the androgynous, spiky-haired kid with an oversized sword, and if, if ever there was any part of me that did, it is so <laughs> dead now that there's just... And yet, right now, you're a spiky-haired kid who wields a giant sword. It's not a giant <laughs> sword. Okay, it's, it's a regular-sized sword. It's a regular-sized sword. That's a fair point. <laughs> But Thank for you. the for the younger demographic, though, the teenagers who grew up, who grew up with these games as they first came out, isn't that the big market for yeah, the Final Fantasy? Games? Sure, it's hard to let go of that nostalgia, and and but it's uh, I haven't, I can't really say that I've identified with any of the characters. But you're right; it's like when you get a Final Fantasy, you know what you're getting. You're getting a a Japanese looking cast of characters that are very weird looking for the most part. That are kind of emo in parts. They don't really communicate very well, and they're going to overcome impossible odds to stop something at the end of the game. It's like that's very that's like a warm glove for for pretty much not just the Final Fantasy series. That's most Japanese RPGs. It's true, but but really, I I don't know. I think that nostalgia claim 
is a little overblown because, like, if you go play Final Fantasy XII, I don't think there's anything there, really, that reminds you of Final Fantasy VI. No, at this point, it's just Chocobos and Sid. It, it, I mean, I don't think that's much of an exaggeration. And some of the spell names, you know, I'll cast Cure, Cura, and it'll heal Tom you Berries. for a little bit. I do and like Tonberries. There may not be a Tonberry in thirteen. That's bullshit. There has to be a Tonberry. <laughs> there may not be a Cactuar. There may not be, you know, that kind of stuff. I, so... I mean, that's, that's just terrible. How, I've, I've kind of outgrown Japanese RPGs, and this is kind of uh, going into a different a different topic, which we've discussed on this podcast before. But, um, And I think I've, uh, you know, Dragon Age, Joe, you said earlier, like, you know, for some reason didn't, I think it was you that said it earlier. Maybe it was, it was somebody else. In the no, that, it was me who didn't like it in, in the end. And you said that, like, it was a weird thing that you didn't like it. And I feel the same way. It's like, I, at the end of the day, I don't, I don't remember if I've, yeah, I ha- it, it was this year that I beat it. So since the last podcast, we lost the one where I said, where I talked about Dragon Age. I did finish Dragon Age, and I spent, I think, about 60 hours in it, and I can't really say that I liked it at all. Yeah, I and... mean, I spent probably six months playing Ultima Six, And it, it's not like I needed to do that. I just, <laughs> I, I wanted to go do, I wanted to mess around in the world more, you know? And I was, what, like 14 or something. Uh, I feel like if Dragon Age came out now and I'm 14, I probably do that same thing. You know, I wander into absolutely every little corner of the world I can, and I, I don't, don't know. know why I don't want to do that now. I don't buy it. I I have trouble picturing that a game like Dragon Age, while ostensibly is is catered to us because we played Baldur's Gate, I think if if the us who played Baldur's Gate were transported to today and played that game, I don't know if it would be the same thing. Well, I mean, you can compare it to Baldur's Gate and all that, but that doesn't have much potency with me because I barely finished Baldur's Gate. I mean, I played the first one, finished it, never wanted to go back to it, and didn't even play the second one, which was apparently much better. So Yeah. I had a really weird experience with Baldur's Gate where I played it, and I really enjoyed up everything up until the point where I reached Baldur's Gate. Oh yeah, and they, they wait too. There's five parts to the city, and it's yeah, right. No, I totally agree with that. Like the game is called Baldur's Gate, and I enjoyed everything but that. Yeah, you enjoy but, the Nashkel mines and solve oh, the yeah. Iron Crisis, and all everything. that great stuff. But then you get to Baldur's Gate, and, and, it's, and it's and then it branches off in a bunch of different directions, yeah. and I, I feel directionless and lost, and I I stop playing shortly thereafter. Yeah, you. I hit this point whenever I reach like a huge city in an RPG where they give me the freedom to talk to 40 people or 60 people, and I suddenly go, oh my god, I have to talk to 60 people and then figure out what to do next. And sometimes I just stop playing. Yeah. Well, how do you guys feel about the spiritual successors to things? Like, there have been a lot of that lately. There's been a lot of, like, Darksiders is a Zelda for this generation. Borderlands is a Diablo for the FPS generation. You know, Bioshock is this is going back a little bit, but is the spiritual successor to System Shock. You know, uh, God, I don't even know if I consider that part of a conversation about sequels. I think sequels is such a incredibly deep topic. I hadn't even anticipated talking about that. Well, then, then hang up. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I just mean like if given a choice between like if if. You know, let's assume now that System Shock 2 sold incredibly well and wasn't just, you know, our favorite game of all time that didn't sell for shit. Um, Actually, that's still Psychonauts. I'm, I don't include myself in that. So oh, okay. I'm Sorry. talking about me and Joe specifically. We'll oh, talk about right. you in a minute. This is, this is our time right now. <laughs> no, oh, I mean, I well, don't let me interrupt. <laughs> I think the whole 
whole idea of spiritual successors is is really great because I like the idea that there are some developers out there and there's an audience out there that wants to try to revisit something that isn't still happening because you never hear about you know a series there's never a spiritual successor to Modern Warfare 2, right? Because they're still making those games. Yeah. And it's always a hearkening back to some style of gameplay that doesn't seem to be represented anymore, or or at least isn't being represented a lot. Well, do you so, feel I like mean, they're... Like... Go ahead. Go ahead. Do you feel like they're successful is the thing? Like, with the examples I just cited, Dragon Age... Well, that's they... what I was leading up to. I mean, they're... I'm always very psyched about the fact that they're being made, and I, I can't really think of one that I've ever really liked. All right. I mean, I've liked some of them. I liked Bioshock. I, I, I think I liked Dragon Age, kind of. But when, I mean, whenever somebody tells me that something is the spiritual successor to something, then I kind of, I, I've, like, like you said, I've kind of been bitten by that. I haven't found them to be very good at all. Can you, can you guys think of any... Like Blue Dragon is another example of that, or something well, that was supposed it's to be. Interesting because I was trying to come up with like what I thought about sequels before this thing, and it, it ended up being a lot more complex than I expected. And I actually came up with a bunch of different categories of sequels. Mm -hmm. There were seven of them. Oh Jesus! You've done <laughs> but, your research. But, but one of them was what I called trying to recapture the magic, and I feel like this happens both in the idea of spiritual successors and in actual sequels, you know? Sure. I mean, like, I look at a series like XCOM, or I look at a series like Tribes, and, you know, at some point, those games became zeitgeists, and everyone loved them, or a niche community loved them way too much, and so somebody decided, well, these games have a following. We need to make another one. We need to update this, this game. And the next game was never you know, what anybody wanted, and maybe they even tried again, and it wasn't what anybody wanted. And then maybe ten years later, they decided to make a spiritual successor, and that still didn't rein those people in. And yet that kind of behavior never really seems to go away. Sure, well, I mean, it, because everybody wants to try to recapture the magic of X. I mean, I think Tribes, Tribes is a pretty weird example, because nobody played that except for you and Brandon. But, yeah, it would, well, no, come on. That was a beloved <laughs> game in a super. Yes, I know. I'm exaggerating a bit, but but I think what what fits the description of what you're talking about is XCOM, which which, mm. I mean, you like the first one was an epic game. The second one was really the first one with a hat, and so I mean, you can't even really call it a sequel or a spiritual successor. I don't think, but everything from there kind of went completely downhill. And that there, go ahead. There was a. Uh... I can't even remember the name of it. Uh, it was several years ago, but they did a, a a very definite spiritual successor to XCOM and some Eastern European developer uh, that, that was actually pretty good. Um, See, I think I bought this game and didn't like it. You know, I, I've, I have pursued every rumor of a spiritual, spiritual successor to XCOM pretty religiously sure. throughout the last 15 years, you know? So... So what is that, Joe? Is that your white whale for games that you want another another game of? It's probably probably if I had to go for three, it would be XCOM Tribes and Star Control. Right, okay. that's fair. So so for me, the the weird Russian knockoff, uh, it it didn't recapture the joy of XCOM, but it definitely made me remember why I loved XCOM so much. 
so in that comparison. case, the ruining did not travel back in time. <laughs> it was it was something that sort of reinforced my enjoyment of the past and sort of refreshed my nostalgia without, you know, actively uh, actively making me sad. I don't know why you brought up Blue Dragon as a spiritual successor to anything other than a punch in the crotch. <laughs> uh, I'm curious what you meant by that. Grant. Well, because it's supposed you remember when it was first being talked about, it was like, here's here Nobusakaguchi's new company. It's called Mistwalker. They're going to make some awesome old old school stuff. And here's our first one. It's done by, what's that guy's name? He did the Dragon Ball Z character art and Chrono Trigger. It's like, this is going to be old school. It's going to be awesome. And holy shit, was it terrible. <laughs> but they, I mean, at the time they were saying, I mean, maybe they weren't saying it was a spiritual successor to Dragon Quest or whatever, but that's what it felt like they were trying to play on with me. It's like, buy this, Mistwalker exists. We're making a 360 Japanese RPG. Aren't we awesome? Please buy it. It's going to be like everything you remember. Well, so no. I've been trying to think of successful spiritual successors, and I think I might have come up with one. Would you consider Series Sam to be a spiritual successor to Doom 2? I would consider that to be an... Uh, it's tricky. I would say that's an that's an homage more than anything else. Like That's, that's, that's splitting it pretty thin. I mean, a spiritual successor to, Do- to Doom uh, takes itself very seriously, I think. Until you get to the John Romero head at the end. Doom <laughs> took itself very seriously. <laughs> But Serious Sam certainly was a throwback to that kind of that kind of uh, gameplay, that kind of frantic action feeling, as Roman Mark said uh, famously on Old Man Murray. Um, but a spiritual successor, I don't know. I feel like that's been a bit of a stretch. It's a good suggestion. I'm not mm. I'm not trying to shoot it down, but I, uh, I I I certainly can't off the top of my head come up with something that fits the definition better than that. Um, but so 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 Joe's would be XCOM. John, is there any particular game that you is there like any all time favorite game that you feel hasn't been that you want to see again and and has not been done? Uh, well, I was thinking about it, but it seems like they've been trying to and successfully hitting all the spiritual successors of the games that I liked right. growing up. You know, GoldenEye and mm. and uh, Perfect Dark have seen many. Sure, many console games come and go that have replicated that feel. You know, the Halos, the Modern Warfares. But uh, in terms of in terms of the spiritual successor uh, coining, I, it it's really not something that I give much uh, much heed to. I guess I I still prefer to go back and and just play <laughs> these original games like. I love the first Civilization a ton. Mm. I love the first Command and Conquer a ton. And, you know, these are early pioneering PC games in their respective genres, which, with all the sequels that have come out, you know, the new Command and Conquer this year, I believe, the new StarCraft this year, they're still probably, in my mind, not going to match the originals. And wow. I still prefer to go back to the originals and, that's interesting. I mean, I have kind of an analogous situation in that with Civilization, I got stuck on one particular version of the game, uh, which is Alpha Centauri, actually. Mm. I really liked Alpha Centauri, and when Civ 3 came out, I just kind of fell off the boat, and every once in a while I'll go back and play Alpha Centauri, and I'll probably never play another Civ game again. Mm. Civ 5, man. Hexes! Hexes! 
Yeah, Joe probably doesn't know that Civilization Five just got announced. It's uh, it's coming out. When is it? Like hexagons. <laughs> and it has. My wife plays them all, so I'm sure she'll buy it and play it. Yeah, I I I also fell off the boat probably around Civ Two or Civ Three. I mean, I played Civ Three, but Civ Two was where I spent most of my time. Yeah, Civ Two was definitely the one I spent the most hours into, but I have picked up and enjoyed every Civilization since. So Nick, yes, if you had to say there is some game that you want to see spiritually successed. Oh, man. Can you think of any? My brain's kind of sticking on XCOM because that was kind of a... Joe's anchored you is what you're saying. Yes, I've been anchored by XCOM and uh, it's not a terrible thing to be anchored to. Or, I mean, let's extend a little bit further. What about, I mean, not just spiritual successors, but successors. You know, Joe and I talked about System Shock 2 and really there hasn't been to me an XCOM 3. Right. Um, So... So I'm I'm actually looking forward to Diablo three, and I'm hoping that it mm. plays a little bit like a throwback. Uh, oh I, yeah, you know if <laughs> <laughs> I think jo- Joe what that did was you just, just a do? rush of, of endorphins as the <laughs> as the memory of the heroin went back through your system. <laughs> oh yeah, oh that was great <laughs> oh, heroin. Yeah. It? I mean, oh, just the if. If I get to kill, loot, repeat, if I get to combine two things and make one slightly better thing, and it's it's well-balanced and it's well-executed and it's fun, I just love that shit. I eat it up. See, so what I'm hoping they'll do is they'll do all the same things, and then they will overwhelm me with the options. Like, like they will be like, okay, we brought back rune words, and there are 500 of them. <laughs> go, go fucking nuts, you know, and... and and I won't know what to do with myself. That's what I'm hoping will happen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, so so you would say, well, they are remaking Diablo of of games that have not been announced as being remade. Can you sure. Um, Don't be difficult is what I'm saying, Nick. I think that was a great example, Grant. I, I can't believe you're trying to <laughs> steal some points away for, from me for Diablo 3. It was a great example. Um, Final Fantasy 18 aside, I think we've we've established that you're really looking forward. Well, to that one. sure, that that's that's a big one, and uh, I really want a Dark Cloud three that is Dark Cloud three and not White Knight Chronicles. But that's that's maybe just me. Uh, I I love Dark Cloud. I love Dark Cloud two. Uh, level five has always maintained a special little place in my soft, sad little heart. And and then yeah, I rushed out and bought White Knight Chronicles, much to my sadness and dismay. But I do get to build a little town, and I, I do love building myself a little town. Didn't Level 5 also do the Professor Layton games? Uh, yes, they did. Okay, so they're, so... So they're, they're still very, very net positive as a yeah, developer. Yeah, so. that's true. And there, there's good things to be said about Why Not Chronicles, just mm-hmm. not the story. God, not the <laughs> just, story. Just not the game. Um, John, are, are, did, are there any games that need to be sequeled that, uh, that have not been in your eyes? Oh, that need to be sequeled. That's a, a cry out for a sequel. That's a tough question, but uh, I've honestly been pretty satisfied with what I've played. And, Good. And if congratulations, I'm <laughs> envious of you. In most cases, the sequel was a bad idea to begin with. Yeah. And in some cases, we've been we've been blessed by by a sequel not being possible, like Too Human. But uh, so you like to see Human. No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you said blessed. Okay, yeah, that's yeah. true. That's true. Oh, poor Dennis Dyack. 
poor town of Toronto. Isn't it Toronto? Where? Never mind. Uh, so Joe, is it XCOM for you as well? Is that what you're saying? XCOM and tribes, and what else did you say? Star Control. Star Control. Um, oh, Christ, so, yeah. I mean, going back and playing Star Control 2 is still an incredibly satisfying experience. Um, I do find myself kind of weirded out by it every time I do it because of this concept that if I don't do things in time, then then I actually kind of lose. Mm. Yeah, that's you a know, concept that oh. doesn't really exist anymore. Yeah, that doesn't really happen in games anymore. And it's funny because while I was playing Mass Effect, I kept being like... Uh, <laughs> Because cause all the quests are like, holy shit, you better be there five minutes ago, and yet you can just fuck around as much as you want and eventually get to the place you're supposed Look, to go. Look, the sun and... is is not going to go Nova right now. It's exploding, but it'll be <laughs> fine. Just take your time. Right. So, I mean, the idea that, like, if you don't deal with the Thradash, they're going to kill themselves. You know, that's <laughs> just that's so weird. Uh, Culture 16. Uh, Nick just made I, some kind of celebratory uh, gesture. So I just course. thought of, I, I'm, I'm going to sub out the previous one. Okay. I want a Master of Orion 3 that isn't made out of oh, pure God. liquid pain. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't that like Sins of a Solar Empire? Well, that's a spiritual that's successor. That's a spiritual right? successor, and I, I did enjoy Sins of a Solar Empire quite a bit. But you well, want... You so, so the... Done! Done and done! <laughs> well, not really. I mean, it was it was good, but it I don't know. I well, that was the next category that I was going to say is 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 sequels that that you want to that 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 kind of ruined things retroactively. Like for me, that the obvious example is Ultima Nine. Mm. Ultima Nine ruined video games forever, <laughs> and I demand an apology. You were furious. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I mean, like, are there Ultima Nine is my obvious one. Uh, Star Control Three to oh, a yeah. lesser degree, but that was still a good game. What? And I gotta agree with Nick though. I I pre-ordered Master of Orion Three. I think I brought it up on the podcast before that it was the most disappointing game I've ever played. Yeah. Well, so, so that I, I guess we've already kind of covered this ground. Just when I say Master of Orion Three, I throw up in my <laughs> mouth a little. <laughs> I know. So, uh, John, are there any sequels that you wish were unmade? Wish were unmade. Uh, Sounds like No More Heroes two, 2 didn't quite get there for you. But well, you weren't. despite my lack of enthusiasm for for the sequel coming, I mean, I was happy for it, but at the same time, I I, I knew it just wasn't going to be better than the original. The original had just ended in such a complete fashion for me. Yeah. But regardless, the sequel was still enjoyable. It was fun. It sounds like it's kind of comparable to Bioshock 2 in that regard. You know, it's still still cool, but lost a bit of its luster. Uh, yeah. Well, and that's kind of a super weird comment to me. And, and so is the whole, you know, everything that surrounds Bioshock 2, because it's being constantly said it didn't live up to its, you know, predecessor's like vision or, or importance or whatever it did when Bioshock, the original Bioshock was supposed to be a spiritual successor to System Shock and it didn't live up to what it did. Right. But I mean, I, people who say that Bioshock are not living up to the original, I, they're either in the minority or nobody gives a shit because I'm pretty sure that game is in the nineties and game. Yeah, and I think I've yeah. heard that over and over again is it does. It's not as good as the first one. It doesn't live up to its potential and it's awesome. Yeah, it's I pretty mean, much what I always hear. I would, I certainly wouldn't call it awesome. I haven't gone back to it since the second night I played it, but it's good, and I don't want to keep piling on. Uh, it's just, 
Bioshock 2 is an example of a, of, a, of an unnecessary sequel to me, and I wish that 2K Marin could have done something else as their, I, I assume, I think it was their first project, um, instead of kind of making The Matrix Reloaded, essentially. You know, sometimes there are times where I think the unique ability of our generation is to look down on really good things uh, and, and be disappointed by them, because it, it was good. And I don't think if if somebody has never played System Shock and they play Bioshock, they have nothing to complain about at all, ever. Bioshock was a very good game. Yes. Bioshock, it went on longer than it needed to. Maybe a little. I thought it was... I don't, I, I don't want to get into a discussion on Bioshock, because I am very much in the minority, and it's not productive for me to, to, to say <laughs> things I would say about Bioshock. Um, um, I, I think, then, it's a good time to say that I think it's interesting that at least two of us thought that XCOM was one of the games that most needed a spiritual or, mm. or otherwise successor. Um, and it, it also fits into the category of horribly disappointing sequels. Sure. And, and, and in fact, yeah. two of them. You know, there was Apocalypse. Three, was, I believe. Three was miserable. Apocalypse, Interceptor, and And then Enforcer. Interceptor. What was the other one? Enforcer. 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 Yeah. You're right. Wow. Yeah, it's oh, I blocked that out. Three dreadful so how, sequels. how anybody can look at the history of the XCOM, I don't know, franchise, can you even call it that, and, and the fandom that sort of surrounds it and say, we should make XCOM Interceptor and we should make XCOM Enforcer. I just, I don't even see where the hell that comes from. Well, I think that, I, I don't know if the rumors are true or not of somebody, whoever it may be, remaking an XCOM game or making a new XCOM game. I think it could be done right. I mean, obviously that formula works, and I don't think it's one of those formulas that if you try to bring it into the modern generation, it won't hold up. I think it still does. Um and I, and I hope that somebody will do it because it seems like a no-brainer. Um, it, it's, I think, almost more beloved than any other franchise in our community. Right. The weird thing is it's kind of seemed like a no-brainer for almost 20 years. It has. but it's and, and there have been a lot of games that have done similar things that haven't quite gotten it right and haven't really caught on, like Jagged Alliance and Incubation being a hey, weird example hey, and stuff like I that. I love Jagged Alliance. I know, and sure a, lot of pe- a lot of people do, but it's no... Ec- nobody would say that it's... that Well... Maybe some people, but most people would say it's no XCOM. No, it's not. You know? And I mean, yeah. I'm one of the people who played Incubation, and really, <laughs> I, I, I only played it because I wanted to play XCOM. Yeah. Well, so it sounds like we've reached a consensus. I'll contact Microprose. <laughs> yeah. Um, and see, they they don't even exist anymore. I don't, I don't think they do. Who holds the, the license? Also, where's my new Tecmo Bowl? Whatever happened to that? Madden made that obsolete. I no, think. it didn't. The, the... RK, okay, NFL Blitz made that obsolete. I mean, <laughs> I could I could obsolete your Tecmo Bowl with any number of things, I but mean, not but not NFL well enough streets. to satisfy me. I, I no, I agree. But that's kind of like arcade what, ridiculous. What could they possibly football. do with a new Tecmo Bowl that you that you wouldn't just rather play the old Tecmo Bowl? I I don't know. Owned. I, so I. <laughs> That's the, the my things, question. The things I love new NBA Jam, but yeah, yeah, that's, that's going to be this. It's the same thing. I think it's going to be a stinker. Yeah. The new NBA Jam. You know, Tecmo Bowl for me was uh, it. It was a it was a sports RPG in such a way. What? It, what? Explain <laughs> yourself. I I will explain Account for yourself, Thank Davidson. You. Uh, it, in addition to having uh, like the the thing that really stood out about uh. I'm sorry. I'm I'm talking about Tecmo Super Bowl, not Tecmo Bowl. Okay. Uh, it had lost me there. Uh, it had. What we all remember about Tecmo Bowl is Bo Jackson <laughs> and 
Right, right but also the create a character mode. I mean, it was the I first sports. Wow, okay. No? Yeah. No. Not at all. Really? Yeah. Am I completely... I don't even know what system this game is for. Uh, This was for... We'll, we'll, we'll look it up. Yeah, we'll look Probably it up. Probably the Super Nintendo. This was the Super Nintendo. <laughs> a supplementary recording of episode uh, whatever of the 2 versus 2 podcast will contain <laughs> nothing but us playing Tecmo Super Bowl. Watch anyway. To, to me, that, that was the first hybridization of, of sports and RPG that, that really that really stuck in. Which Joe well, is a no, huge yeah. fan of now. I mean. uh, um, there are a bunch of old, like, you know... Commodore 64 games and stuff like that, that that had those kind of elements in them. Sure. Like, there's a classic boxing game that I can't remember the name of that lets you create a boxer and, and that sort of thing. Was it 4D boxing? Yeah, exactly. That's what mm-hmm. it is. Oh. And that, that, that definitely predates Tecmo Bowl. That's true. That's, well, no, that yeah, true. no, that's not true at all. Tecmo Bowl and 4D boxing was polygonal. It came out on the PC, so we're probably talking about different things. But I think we are. Yeah. So on that awkward note, <laughs> um, I, I, th- I think we can probably uh, uh, wind this thing down. Um, are there anything, uh, anything that you guys are looking forward to coming? Since you know you guys were great guests, but let's be honest, we're not going to have you on again anytime soon. Um, are there? <laughs> That's what you said last time, Grant. <laughs> no, John, I want as much Nick as I can get. John, is there anything? What are you looking forward to in the next few weeks for for stuff that's coming out? Well. Uh... Final Fantasy XIII for me will be a purchase on release date or soon afterward if if that comes to pass. I'll probably make a a decision in the moment to pick that one up. Uh, otherwise, I I'm definitely looking ahead to to the Monster Hunters, the next gen Monster Hunter, which is Lost Planet, and the the traditional Monster Hunter, which is Try. I'm definitely looking forward to those two. And uh, other than that, not much else is on my radar right now. You did say God of War 3 earlier. Did you say that is something that you want to buy or is just something that you want to watch? I mentioned God of War 3, but I've never been a fan of the God of War series. And I feel personally that um, God of War and the recently released Dante's Inferno have kind of overstayed their welcome sure. a bit. And I'm just not... Big fan of those those actiony type games, in that in that contest of how how gory or how bloody and gross and make you want to throw up. Uh, gut wrenching. Can we make these death and dismemberment and animations? our characters attack modes. I don't disagree with that. I I think if you're going to go over the top on action, I would rather see Bayonetta than Dante's Inferno. Yeah. It's a different kind of ridiculous over the top. Same genre. I don't agree with you. It's basically the same game with a different knob turned to 11. I agree. I'm not a fan of that. I could have phrased that better. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Nick, what about you? Besides Monster Hunter... Well, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I don't want to anchor you. Well... Uh, as it so happens, I will pick up Monster Hunter 3 uh, as soon as, as any human can. Um, I'm probably going to play Secret Armory uh, up until uh, up until my PC arrives, and I'm going to play uh, Mass Effect, Mass Effect 2, and that should keep me happy until uh, until Monster Hunter hits the hits the shelves. And if not, there's always Magic Online to keep me 
spending a stupid amount of money. So, uh, yeah, I've got a pretty pretty full docket. Joe, what about you? I thought I heard uh, a weird... Oh, you are still there. Okay. okay. Yeah, I'm still there. Um, <laughs> Don't sound that's just a really hard I question. Don't know. Oh, God. I guess. <laughs> well, I mean, the truth is, so so I'm sucked back into MMO land. Uh, in danger, you know, to, to approach the danger of, of mentioning Magic Online again, release events for the new set started today. Yes. So I'll be doing that for... A couple of weeks, pretty frequently, I would imagine. Today being um, Wednesday, we by the time this goes up, it, it will have been a few days, I believe. We'll see. It's but. true. It's true. Um, there's there's no game that I really anticipate purchasing for a while. Uh, I, I don't really have my finger on when the games I am somewhat interested in are coming out, like uh, like uh, Street Fighter Four's next disc. I um, believe that's next month, but I don't remember for sure. Uh, but yeah, th- then that'll probably be the next game I buy. Okay. Uh, f- speaking only for myself, I can say Final Fantasy uh, thirteen coming out pretty soon. That'll be pretty good. I just bought Heavy Rain, and I've been playing that. That hopefully will last me for longer than I think it will. Um, I have to say, when I saw you say, um, I'm playing Heavy Rain, it reminds me of Indigo Prophecy, and that's good. I was shocked. I I didn't expect you to be an Indigo Prophecy fan. Well, it's a, 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 you could argue that Heavy Rain is a spiritual successor to that game. It's written and directed, as it says in the credits, by the same person, um, and they do feel very similar. I I don't know if I loved Indigo Prophecy. I don't know that I'm loving Heavy Rain, but I love that people are still able to make games like this and still get funding for it. So I hate to say it, but I, I get made fun of it. I I loved Indigo Prophecy. I, I played it once. I would never go back to it. But I played. But I played it in a in almost a sitting. Well, I will. Then you should set up a Google alert for Indigo Prophecy Two, so you can be the first to know <laughs> when the unnecessary sequel was made. <laughs> sure. Um, after that, yeah, I don't really remember what's coming out. I am not going to be a day one adopter of God of War Three. I don't even know if I'll purchase it. But Final Fantasy Thirteen for now, and Final Fantasy Fourteen when it ships later this year, I'm kind of predictable. Um, anybody else have anything they want to say? No, I think it's time to go get dinner, which is like a spiritual successor to lunch. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I've heard. I've been very disappointed by dinner in the past before. Um, John, anything else before we sign off? Uh, no, I was happy to be a part of the podcast and, and we'll continue listening as a listener. (laughs) Good. And hopefully we'll be able to... We'll be able to hold your interest for longer than we have in previous episodes. Um, so I guess that's it. Uh, Joe, have anything else you want to say there, buddy? Of course not. No, that's that's great. Um, okay, for Joe Caruso, John Kratzer, Nick Davidson, this is Grant Roberts. Thank you for listening to the Two vs. Two podcast, and we will see you next time. Bye.